0: All right. Welcome to Cheap Chats with Kevin Hobby and Todd Hagopian. I'm Kevin Hobby.
1: And I'm Todd Hagopian. And we have no guests today. We're going to do an issue podcast on the Wall Street Bets phenomenon on Reddit uh, so that we can educate everybody on what is going on and the different viewpoints among libertarians on how this is playing out and how this is going to play out. So hopefully, this will be interesting for all of you. We're going to try and publish tomorrow morning, Friday. Um, while this all is still fresh in everyone's head and and the stock is probably whipping around all day long. So Kevin, I thought we would start first with just some general definitions so that everybody's on the same page for people who don't really know what's going on. Everybody kind of understands that the stock is going crazy and supposedly hedge fund managers are getting killed over it, you know, and people are making a million dollars. That's kind of what everyone is thinking they know right now. Uh, But let's take a step back and talk about what's actually happening here. So what is a hedge fund? There are many different kinds of hedge funds. Okay, I'm not gonna go through them all. Um, But essentially what a hedge fund is, is it is a a fund that takes leveraged assets to amplify returns. It's probably the easiest way uh, to say it without reading something off of Wikipedia or Investopedia. Um, They basically find ways to leverage the hell out of themselves and then take interesting investment strategies to get better returns than the overall market. And they use the strategies that the normal investor would not have access to. And a lot of times strategies that are not regulated um, and therefore can come under enormous scrutiny later on on how they're making their money. Uh, but not all of these strategies are bad. Um, not all of these hedge funds are bad. So it's important to understand hedge fund could just be a global diversified fund that is using leverage to get better returns off of a very diversified portfolio. There are hedge funds out there that bet on certain specific events um, that are going to happen, such as an election or certain regulatory Uh, things that are coming down the pike. So there will be hedge funds that say, I think global warming is going to go crazy. Therefore, this is going to be our strategy to to amplify returns based on that event that they think is coming. Um, Then there are arbitrage hedge funds where they might be as simple as, you know, back when Halliburton was going to buy Breaker Hughes, there there were hedge funds on both sides. The government was saying that, We might not approve this. So Halliburton had said they would buy Baker Hughes at, say, 50 bucks, and Baker Hughes was selling at 45 bucks. There were hedge funds that were buying at 45, trying to make a quick buck if the acquisition went through. And and there were hedge funds that were shorting at 45 because they'd make a ton of money if the acquisition fell through. So there were all kinds of hedge funds. Arbitrage, by the way, is doing both at the same time and trying to uh, make a little bit of money in between. so anyway, those are, and then there's other hedge funds that use the um, 130 rule, which is basically that they, or sorry, 130-30 rule that they basically buy a, a ton of stocks and then short a little bit of stock and, and try and leverage themselves that way. And, and so there's a lot of different ways that hedge funds work. However, what people know about hedge funds and the most, um, the most visible hedge fund strategy and the one that people are talking about this week is the mega shorts. Um, So these are the people that are not just trying to hedge uh, the the actual definition of hedge. These are people who are actually trying to make a ton of money shorting stocks that they think are going to go down and we'll define that in a minute. Um, but But the reason I went through all that is because it is important when people say, oh, these bad hedge funds, not every hedge fund is betting against companies. Uh, not every hedge fund is evil, you know, um, unless your definition of evil includes those other things. That's fine. It's not for me to say what your definition of evil is. Uh, but today we're going to focus on the hedge funds that make their money off of hoping that you lose yours, uh, which is essentially what these mega short hedge funds are doing. If you are an investor in GameStop a week ago, uh, they were praying that GameStop would go bankrupt, you would lose all your money so that they would make a ton of money. And that's why people hate these particular group of hedge funds. Um, so any questions on that, Kevin, from a, from a general libertarian, you know, didn't know much about hedge funds walking into this? What are your questions?
0: The, I think the main question that most people are going to have is you've thrown this term around of shorting. Um, I think that we really need to go in and define what that actually is, because a lot of people don't have a they understand the word and they kind of understand what it is. But as far as what actually happens when you short a stock, I think that that needs to be something that we need to address, because I think most people's general understanding is you're basically going up to this shady loan shark top guy and betting money with them that this company is gonna go under when in reality, that's not what's happening.
1: Yep, and that's a good point. So there's, and I'm not gonna go deep, deep into anything because it'll just be pointless, but there's ways to bet in the stock market um, that where you don't just own stocks and you're actually truly gambling. Um, There are ways to bet that a stock is gonna go up. There are ways to bet that a stock is gonna go down and these are called call and put options. Uh, very traditional Kevin you and I could get approved to to do call and put options out there in the marketplace Um, typically you don't have to put very much down and the most you can lose is what you put in Um, however the shorting is different and the shorting is something that not a lot of people do um, because not a lot of people have the ability to lose unlimited amount of money which is what shorting is So I'll break it down um, in a very simple manner. Um, Just know that it's a little more complex and if this sounds attractive to you, do about a million years of research before you try it. What happens is if you think a, you know a company is gonna go down for whatever reason, you would go to a broker and you would borrow shares of that company. You're basically taking a loan from the broker on shares of the company. So let's say company A is worth a hundred dollars and I want 10 shares. I'm going to take a thousand dollar loan from the broker and I get these 10 shares at a hundred dollars and I'm going to immediately sell them. Now I have a thousand bucks of cash, but I owe the broker 10 shares of company A at some point in the future. And I owe him interest along the way. Okay. Um, now, company A goes up to 150. If I decide I want to get out of this, actually, let's do it the other way. Company A goes down to 50. So I was right. It went down 50. I can buy those 10 shares back. Now I paid $500. And I can give the shares back to the broker and pay off my debt with shares. So I got a $1,000. I spent 500 to buy the shares back. I ended up making $500. Um, And that's essentially how shorting works. So I just made a killing uh, for doing nothing except being right that the stock was gonna go down. On the flip side, if it goes up to 150, and for some reason I need to get out, either I'm scared, or I need my money, or I can't take the risk any longer, um, or the interest is too high, I can, I can close out that position. I need to buy 10 shares at 150, which is $1,500, and give those 10 shares back to the broker. But now I had a thousand bucks, I just spent 1,500, so I've now lost $500 on that transaction. Where it gets really scary for shorters is in a case like GameStop, where this might've gone to you know, 600, 400. And all, all of a sudden, you're out $300 a share times 10 shares, $3,000. So on, on an investment of $1,000, know, you could be out $3,000. That's where shorting gets very, very terrifying for the average investor and then even for some of these hedge funds. Now, the important thing to note here. So first of all, let's stop there. Kevin, did that make sense?
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I think I think to the average listener, if they didn't understand what shorting is, they probably got a really good idea of it right now. So the thing that okay, you so want you basically- to emphasize to carry from one point to another is when you think of investing, most of the time, you think of it in a traditional sense. I'm going to buy a hundred shares of Apple stock, you know, and we think it's going to go up $5 a share. So I made $500 dollars. This is the riskier, the high stakes investing when you get into shorting stocks. And so that's you can make a there's a huge huge upside but also a huge huge downside. And there are firms out there, hedge funds that specialize only in this in these mega shorts. Right. So that those that's two exactly points right. are tied together now.
1: That's exactly right and this is the analogy that I would use as we come up on Super Bowl season. Um, you can you can buy um, bets on Wall Street. And this is the calls and puts I was talking about that you and I could do. I could bet that the bucks were gonna win or I could bet that the over was gonna be 52 points and I bet $100 and that is the most that I can lose, but I could win 300 bucks or whatever, 200 bucks. Um, that is a traditional bet that you and I could make. Shorting would be saying, I think the over is gonna be, or I think the under 52, okay. I think it's gonna be under 52. But every point over 52, I lose hundred bucks. Unlimited losses all the way up. If Tom Brady, you know, throws six touchdowns, I'm screwed. I'm gonna be out hundreds and hundreds of dollars. That's what shorting is compared to an actual bet, a call or a put. Where whatever you bet in, you could lose it all, but no more. Shorting, you can lose a lot more than what you put in is essentially the deal. Now
0: here And another is- thing that we need to note is yeah. one of the reasons why these hedge funds are so hated and kind of looked at by the general populace as being so negative is because they're not playing with their own money. Yes, hedge funds are a pool of money from other investors. So if they do have those unlimited losses, there are some things that are in place in order to keep it to where, you know, they end up paying. But most of the time, it's the people that trusted them with their money that end up paying those extreme losses.
1: Yeah. And let's go back to hedge fund managers for a minute and then we'll get back to shorting because I think you bring up a really good point Um, because one thing that we should cover is why do people hate hedge funds? And it's not just that they bet against companies, although that's what's in the news today. Why people hate all the other hedge funds that I talked about, even though they don't necessarily bet against companies is because of hedge fund compensation and because of who can invest in the hedge fund. Um, So typically, I'm gonna get this number wrong. Um, typically, you have to have something like it's 10 million or 100 million. It's it's a ridiculous amount of money in liquid assets to be able to qualify to invest in these, uh, in these hedge funds. Like you need to be uh, super rich. And those are the only people that are allowed to invest in these hedge funds. Um, so that's one thing. The hedge fund managers typically make 2% of the total assets every year so for example if you have a one billion dollar hedge fund which would be small by the way you have a one billion dollar hedge fund two percent of that is what let's see 200 million 20 million 20 million dollars i believe is the hedge fund manager's base salary out of a billion dollar hedge fund doesn't matter if he loses 80%, his base salary is 2% of whatever the net asset value is at that time. Um, And so making millions and millions of dollars a year, no matter how good he does. On top of that, the hedge fund manager gets to keep a significant portion of any profits that they make. And I think it's usually in the realm of 20 to 25%. I can't remember, uh, but it's significant. So if that one billion dollar hedge fund goes to one point five billion because he made some awesome bets and he got fifty percent return, he would then also get let's say twenty five percent of uh, five billion dollars. He can make a billion dollars in a year. Uh, sorry, five hundred million dollars. He can make hundred million dollars in a year just off of the return. That's why people hate hedge fund managers, because what happens essentially in a in a compensation package like that, you are incentivized to take an abnormal amount of risk because your base salary doesn't go down that much if you lose money. But your bonus goes up exponentially if you knock it out of the park.
0: So somebody like you. Yeah, go ahead. And like you said earlier, they're basically the weatherman of investing. It doesn't matter how many times they get it wrong. They're still getting paid. That's
1: right. And it's just like being a CEO where everyone's always like, why do these guys get paid so much? Well, there's only a handful of people who are capable of running a Fortune 500 company. There's only a handful of people who are capable of running a hedge fund. You know what I mean? So these guys, even if they do bad, they're going to get with another hedge fund, And another one, and another one, and they're going to continue doing it. And so, this is why people hate hedge funds, and it's fair criticism. I'm not saying anything bad about it. Uh, You can hate a hedge fund manager. Um, But that's one of the reasons that hedge funds get such a bad name is because of how much the management gets paid and who makes money. You know, in the um, when they do do good, usually, let's say the mega short guys. When they do good, the average Joe is who got screwed because they were in a bad stock that went way down. And the hundred millionaire is the guy who made all the money off of it because the hedge fund manager won his short position, you know. Um, and so that's one reason that people don't like him. But let's talk about shorting for a minute, um, because everybody seems to think just based on what I'm hearing out there, that this is a relatively new phenomenon. It's not. Shorting's been around for hundreds of years. It predates the U.S. uh, financial system. Um, It even got, uh, let me think of when this happened. I think it was the war of 1812. It got uh, banned in the U.S. after the war of 1812 because of something about the financial system being too, um, uh, I don't know, too, It was too risky at the time, the financial system could collapse is what they thought. It got reinstated. Uh, I can't remember if that was Supreme Court or what, but it got reinstated like 40 years later. It got blamed again during 1929, but I think this is a really interesting story. So probably the greatest investor in the history of the United States was a guy named Jesse Livermore. And Jesse Livermore um, was a trained analyst and and he had made a lot of money multiple times in his career, including um, shorting along the way. But he also made a series of enormous short bets prior to the crash in 1929, to the point where when the crash happened, he made $100 million in 1929 dollars which is about the equivalent of $1.5 billion today um, in basically one day. so shorting's been around. And of course he got blamed for the entire financial collapse, wasn't his fault. He just got blamed for it. Um, And then in 2009, we had a similar thing where the financial system collapsed and everyone blamed shorters even though again, it wasn't their fault. It was the fact that we had bubbles all over the place um, and they saw it. And uh, there's even a movie about the big short, right? People saw the bubble coming.
0: Yeah, uh, there's a book as well. And the yeah, book is fantastic.
1: Yeah, sorry, I've read the book too, but I, I figured more people had seen the movie. But um, <laughs> but I mean, you know, everyone who sees that movie or reads that book is like, oh, this guy's great. He figured it out. He's the hero, blah, blah, blah. Well, no. I mean, it's kind of funny because today, that same guy (laughs) who you're talking about, those are the guys who are shorting these companies that are seeing something wrong and betting billions of dollars to short companies. Um, And so that is exactly what he did. He shorted because he saw that there was a situation that wasn't right and the market was judging it incorrectly. And then he made a bunch of money. Hero in the movie. um, But he's a shorter And that's what we're all complaining about this week, which I think is just interesting to me. Um, Now, one thing I want to talk about, the Livermore character, which was interesting, is the reason he got blamed for the 1929 crash is because of something called Bear Raids, B-E-A-R Raids. And what this was is he basically got 100 super rich people together and got them to get a whole bunch of other people and short stocks together and sell stocks together um, so that stocks would start to drop. And then they would make money on their shorts and other people would panic and they would sell and they would make more money on their shorts and more people would panic and they would sell and they would make more money on their shorts. And these were called bear raids. Um, And essentially when he did this, uh, he obviously that's why they blame the crash of 1929 on him, whether or not he actually caused it or not. Uh, I don't think so, but anyway, that's why they blame it on him. But it has such interesting parallels to what we're going to talk about in a minute that I thought it was interesting because, again, people blame the entire crash on him, and the folks here in Wall Street bets are using the exact same tactics, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, By the way, five years later, he was bankrupt. So,
0: (laughs) oh, I didn't know that.
1: Yeah. So so anyway, it comes around. But um, okay, so that is that is hedge fund managers. That is shorting. Now, the third thing we have to get our facts around before we talk about the actual issue is GameStop. Uh, So what is GameStop? I believe uh, GameStop is basically just a video game store, essentially, right, Kevin?
0: Yeah. So they, so GameStop, um, huge, huge in my in my generation. Um, what GameStop was really famous for is they do pre-releases, pre-packaged deals where you can get these really exclusive titles. What's hilarious though is that they've always been kind of hated by millennials and Gen Z because. They also operate almost like a pawn shop. So if you have like your old used games, they'll, they'll give you in-store credit for those games. But it's like 10 cents on the dollar. So like the, the joke has always been like, you know, you can buy the latest Halo game and the latest NBA uh, 2K game and the latest Madden game all at GameStop. You can get a package deal on it and it'll cost you like a hundred bucks. And then the next day you can take it in and they'll give you $5 for all three of them.
1: <laughs> and so <clears throat> basically what you need to know about GameStop is they're like every other retailer in this country. They had too much real estate. They had a business model that migrated to online where people are now downloading games rather than buying cassettes and and all that stuff. Um, and there's no reason uh, to go back and sell your old game for five bucks and you can't anymore because it's a digital game anyway. Um, and they just had not innovated for years and years and years. Let me be clear, GameStop is a terrible company that deserves to go bankrupt. They had done nothing correct for the last five years and their financials show it. And very few people would argue differently that have actually looked at their financials. Um, I put a tweet out there today that I'll grab right now uh, really quickly, just to put this in perspective. So this morning, which we'll talk about the inflation um, that happened when when everybody bought, but this morning, the company had a market cap of $34 billion. They could sell every single asset in their enterprise and they would only have $3 billion. Their book value, which is basically assets minus uh, what they owe and loans and whatnot, is only $600 million and they earn negative dollars per year. So that's who GameStop is. Shitty company shitty business model, shitty innovation. Uh, They don't deserve any attention other than what we're giving them this week um, for reasons beyond my understanding. So that's who they are. Now, why are we talking about them this week though? The founder of Chewy.com is a guy named Cohen. What's his first name here? Ryan Cohen. Ryan Cohen starts Chewy.com, grows it real big. It's a pet store or pet um, supply deal. Sells it for a few billion dollars. Um, But he's he's a genius, okay? This guy's smart. So he goes along and, and for whatever reason, he comes across GameStop and he decides that, yes, it's a bad company, but there's potential to turn it around. You can go digital, you can change a business model. We'll go in and be an activist investor and basically put enough money into GameStop that they have to listen to him and change their strategy. And so he makes a huge investment in September of 2020 in GameStop. Um, it was about 10% of the company, which is usually enough to, um, to start demanding board seats and whatnot. Um, when that happened, GameStop's share price climbed immediately. Everyone was really excited. Wow, there's this guy. He's a genius. He thinks he can turn around GameStop. The share price is so low. It has nowhere to go but up. You know, that's how everyone always looks at this kind of thing. I mean, I think it went up 50% inside of a week or two when he took over. Okay. Everyone was super excited. The shorts came. The shorts love this kind of thing. Where some investor takes a 10% roll. He's not even involved in the company, he just takes a 10% roll and the stock goes up 50%. That's like short, um, short, you know, lollapalooza. They're looking at this saying, wow, the stock went up for zero reason. That's their favorite thing in the world <laughs> because they can go in and buy or borrow, sell that stock. And when the stock comes down to earth, sell it and make a killing right away. Um, so the shorts love this situation where people do stupid things with their money. Um, so shorts got in and they got in big tons of shorts came in a couple of huge, uh, firms in particular came in and they started shorting the stock after this guy's, uh, announcement. This guy, however, increased his, uh, holdings then to about 13% in December. Um, and then in January, ended up getting a couple of board seats. And so the good news kind of kept coming. And so the stock didn't go back down. The shorts weren't making enough money to sell. Um, And then comes Wall Street Bets. So Wall Street Bets, of course, loves this guy. Um, Everybody loves this guy. Everybody hates the hedge funds and they decide that there's a chance to really stick it to the hedge funds. We are going to band together Hundreds of thousands of us. I think there's even 2.7 million is what I heard. I have no idea. Um, so let's say there's 2.7 million people, for example. So you got these three million people, and everyone buys a hundred thousand, or sorry, a thousand dollars, you know, worth. You can you can suddenly move this company way way up, just by everybody buying a little bit. You don't need a three you know billion dollar investor, a $300 million investor. We can all just do this together. It's essentially a crowd funded pump to move this stock price up. And every dollar it moves up, hurts the hedge fund manager bad. And, And there's so much short interest out there. This was the theory. There's so much short interest out there. And this is what's called a short squeeze. And it's important for people to understand. When the stock starts flying upwards, the people who have shorts freak out because they don't know how much they're going to lose because it can be unlimited. So the stock starts flying upwards and people start covering their shorts, which is a funny phrase, but they start covering their shorts. They buy the stock so that they can send it back to the bank, which sends the stock even higher. And that's essentially what happens. And so a short squeeze will always look like almost a straight up shot on a stock chart. So the theory was is that there was so much short out there that they could take this and make hundreds of percent. You know that's how this started. So we're gonna move from, you know, um, we're gonna we're gonna move from X dollars a share up hundreds percent. We're all gonna make some money, and the hedge fund manager is gonna get laughed at, and he's probably gonna lose his job. Great. So everyone started to do that. This stock, I'm pulling it up here so I
0: get the numbers, right?
1: Kevin, any questions before I start talking numbers?
0: Nope, roll roll on with the numbers.
1: Okay. So this stock had traded as low as $3 in the past year, but it was, let's say in the tens and teens Let's see. Yeah, I was in the tens and teens uh, up until January, and then it started to rise in January. Right before this, it was probably in about the high teens. Right before this all got started, then people started buying, and so when you're talking hundreds of cents and high teens, people were probably thinking, "Man, if we could get this thing to 50 bucks, you know, we could really stick it to the shorts. We could all make some money." This would be so great. This stock hit $482 today, which is Thursday, yesterday, uh, as we launched this podcast. $482. It went up. I'm going to get this wrong. Is that (laughs) 48,000%? I think it's 48. It's 4,800%. I think it's 4,800. 4,800%. It went up 4,800%. And now people, this is what always happens during a good short squeeze. The people, same people who were talking about, maybe we can get this to 50 are talking about don't stop until it's a <laughs> thousand. That's what always happens. People, you know, it, it. there's still so much short interest out there. We can get it up to a thousand. And so that's what people are talking about now. And so, and, and to be fair, it worked. I don't know which hedge fund it was, but there was a hedge fund that, announced that they got out. And so they took it, they took their beating and, and left. And so everyone's cheering and they're, you know, they're winning. I will tell you that I came out this morning, Thursday morning, and said, sell all your shares. It was right around the time it hit 482 bucks. Um, and I got more hate than I've gotten from a libertarian audience in a year probably. Um, I was going to do one of these like mean tweet things and read them all off to you. But I thought that'd be stupid, but, um, I mean, I was called (laughs) so many ridiculous names. I actually deleted the tweet and retweeted something different to make it clear that if you're trying to stick it to these guys, fine. But if you're doing this as an investment, get out, (laughs) because that was how it was supposed to be intended. It's not sustainable at 482 bucks is what I meant. Um, And so we'll talk a little bit about the libertarian argument for staying in versus getting out and this and that here in a minute. But but essentially what you need to know is is people are doing this for one of three reasons. They either want to stick it to the mutual fund or the hedge fund managers directly, make them feel the pain um, both by their income going down because they get paid on 2% of assets. So if their assets drop, they lose money. and by the fact that they'll probably get fired if they just lost, you know, four billion dollars on this dumb trade of this dumb stock. Um, two, they want to stick it to the whole financial system. This is the second thing that they could be doing um, where where, you know, the shorts, theoretically, you know, the quote unquote shorts have caused every market crash we've seen in the last hundred years, Uh, even though, you know, we all loved the movie and and he was the hero. They've caused every market crash. We hate all the shorts. So we're going to stick it to the system and show them that they need to change the system um, so that uh, little guys can win too. Okay. And that's what's happening here. The little guys are winning. That's the second motivation. The third and most common motivation is going to be that there's a ton of people that are trying to make money. So, and that's why we wanted to have this podcast. So the first two, there are definitely folks that are doing it for the, the, you know, quote unquote, right reasons. They are doing it for principle. They bought, you know, a hundred or $300 and they're willing to let that sit in a bank account or in a stock account, not sell it. It can go to zero for all they care, but they're going to hold it the whole time um, so that these shorts have to cover. But all the folks who bought it for real, who are trying to ride this wave, who read a tweet that said it's going to a thousand and they're trying to make money, um, are going to be in trouble. And so that's one of the reasons we wanted to talk about this today, but also to talk about the libertarian argument for doing it. So Kevin, I'm gonna stop there. I've done a lot of talking, but I wanted to make sure everyone understand understood what is going on and how we got to where we got today. Uh, what are your thoughts on what we're seeing so far this week?
0: Um, well, I think that there's a couple of thoughts on it. Um, one, I think that it shows the ability that groups of people have if they really want to band together. Um, I think that it shows that we can, that we as individuals and we as whatever you want to call it, the little people, whatever, um, can actually make a difference, can actually do these things to combat it. I think it supports counter economics, which is something that we kind of hear people talk about with the agorist and things like that. Um, I also think that it's pretty insane to see that, um, you know, a group of Redditors was able to do more for the redistribution of wealth than 200 years of socialism. (laughs) Um, However, the thing that I want to get out there and caution people about is, you know, it's the Gordon Gecko thing. Greed is good. Greed cleanses. Greed does all the things. It purifies it. Greed is always there and if you are under this illusion that some of the early adopters of this are really really in it to stick it to the man i think that you're being naive i think that a majority of these people that bought this stock at 20 50 100 that are really pumping this like yeah let's get it to 1000 they may have started off with the intention of like yeah we're going to do this to screw some hedge fund manager or whatever but they're making their own money now. And if you're one of these late adopters that's getting in, you're not You're not going to see these profits and you're kind of being used as a puppet because the thing that, that you need to understand is say, like I just looked, it's at 420 and some change right now. If you're buying it at 420 and some change, the thing that you need to realize is that means that somebody is selling it at 420 and some change, which means that they've already made their money. And if they're selling it at that, then- There are other people that are selling it at that. And eventually this is going to pop. This bubble is going to pop and people are going to pull the rug out and it is going to crash. Because like you said earlier, this is, I mean, this is a worthless company. It's a company, it's the blockbuster of our time. It's, it hasn't adapted. They've made terrible decisions. I mean, there are whole, you know, um, Camelot 0331 or whatever his name is, has had a 10-year crusade against GameStop on YouTube. He has over like 2 million viewers just talking about how shitty this company is. They're not a good company to invest in. And if you're doing it to get rich, then I think you missed the mark originally. But I also think that, you know, you're kind of getting manipulated by some people that maybe don't have the actual movement in their mind. And I know that we like to cheer and and things like that and say well you know uh, these people deserve it they got more money from the government than we did in our stimulus or whatever but I really want to caution people against that kind of viewpoint of you know what you know we're going to stick it to the man and 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 things like that when you're talking about these individuals We, we really should be more worried about the government regulations and things like that, that have allowed them to do it than the individuals that are exploiting those.
1: Yeah, and I wanna touch directly on that. So this is not somebody who was part of the actual uh, Reddit movement, but it is an example of what you were saying. There's a billionaire investor named Chamath Palihapitiya, (laughs) Chamath Palihapitiya, billion dollar investment he a billion dollar investor he came out earlier this week and and asked his followers he's got like eight hundred thousand followers on twitter what should i buy tomorrow i'm gonna throw a few hundred thousand dollars at it for whoever convinces me and obviously the reddit folks all went you know buy gamestop buy gamestop well he ends up buying gamestop or sorry he didn't buy gamestop this is even better Another reason that I'm telling you this, what he did is he bought the call options that I talked about. He made very cheap bet on call options. So This guy has billions of dollars. Okay, He made a $2,500 bet on GameStop. That's all he put in, $2,500. And then he told his 800,000 followers to go buy this thing, to, to stick it to the hedge fund and to make him money. Because whatever he makes, he's going to give it to charity. And this thing ends up being $125,000. So he made 50 times his investment um, because he did it right. He bought the calls, which is what you should have been doing. And I'm guessing what leaders of this movement did. It's what I would have done if I wanted to make money and I knew a stock was about to go up hundreds of percent. You buy the calls, not buy the stock. So this guy did exactly what investors should do. (laughs) And then he got everybody else to do it the right or the other way, which is to put their hard-earned money on the line um, and potentially lose. Everybody who bought today at $482 was down 60% at 4 o'clock Eastern time when the market closed. They were down 60% in eight hours if they had bought it. I guess six hours if they had bought at 10 a.m. So six hours they lost 60 percent of their money um, because people like this are telling them to go out and buy something even though they have relatively no skin in the game. For a billionaire to put 2,500 bucks in, that's like me buying a a quarter share. Um, and it's just it's disgusting in my opinion um, that these that's essentially a pump and dump. I mean, this guy basically told 800,000 people to go out and buy a stock so that he could make money. Doesn't matter if it's going to charity or not. That's what happened. And then he sold his calls. He's already said he sold them. Um, and and I don't know if, his, if the people that helped him make money sold them or not, but they lost 60% today from the high if they didn't. So I don't know. I think there's some bad, like to your point, there's some bad actors in this that are going to make a killing. I, I will tell you this, that people who who started this, if they bought call options instead of buying stocks, they are up tens of thousands percent right now instead of thousands of percent. Um, and, and I guarantee you some people did and they've already sold and they're trying to get people to continue. And I bet you today, so Kevin, you were mentioning, it's all the way back up here in the after hours. It went down 60%, now it's up 60%. People were buying you know, options again at the end of the day. So um, I think it's, people have to be wary. If you're going to do this because you're trying to stick it to one of those two things that we talked about, either stick it to the manager or stick it to the financial system, fine. You're going to hold on to the stock until it goes to zero. fine. But if you're doing this as an investment, just know there's a very important theory out there in economics and it's called the gambler's bargain. I'm looking to make sure I get that right. Gambler's ruin. Um, gambler's ruin. and the effectively what it means is is the person with the most money, given all else being equal, is going to end up winning. So the house will beat the gambler, uh, even if the odds are exactly the same, uh, because they can persist longer during downtrends than the gambler can. That's what's going to happen with this stock. As I mentioned, it's basically worth $600 million, or $600 million. And right now, the market cap, after going down 60%, is $13 billion. Uh, the people that are holding this stock at 193 are probably looking at losing 80 to 90% of their value by the time this pans out. Uh, once it's all said and done, it could be a year from now, I don't know. Could go up to 1,000 and then come back down to 20, I don't know. But they're going to lose 80 to 90% of their value by the time this is done. That's what I'm worried about.
0: 100%. And the, the thing that I really want people to... To think about is, um, we mentioned it earlier. These hedge fund managers, you know, they got to where they're at because they're good at their jobs. They're going to make this money back. Like what you did, like what we've been able to do with this, while it may have opened some people's eyes to the ability that individuals have for market influence, we're talking about a bee sting to an elephant right now. I mean, if you talk about, you know, you took down one hedge fund that was worth, you know, let's say it was worth $20 billion. That's nothing. It's $20 billion is is nothing. I mean, it might might take them two years to make it back up. If you're investing, if you're the average American, you know, that makes 48,000 a year and you put 10% of your income into this and the bubble burst and you lose it, it hurts you a lot more than it does them. So make sure that you're 100% aware of the risk that you're going to take whenever you're getting into this. Also stock tip. If you're looking at actually making money, one thing to keep in mind is that the average hedge fund only produces 13.6 growth and the S&P 500, which everybody can invest in, averages 16.5. So you have the ability to make money like this if you just pay attention to what you're doing. But if you jump on the bandwagon like this and you put all of your eggs in the basket, you know, don't gamble next month's rent on this, that you're going to triple or quadruple it, or it's okay to do that, you know, because we're going to hurt some hedge fund manager. When we're talking about, you're talking about nothing to them. Yeah. I mean, there there are some of them that might make a billion dollars in a day. Yeah.
1: And I will say, you know, there are going to be people who, and there have been people today who have said, haven't you ever, you know, done something that, you know, you're going to lose money on to prove a point. Yes, yes, I have. And if that's what you're doing, great. And you know what, it might even work. There's some politicians out there right now talking about this because it's popular and some Republican politicians and Democratic politicians are trying to do something that's popular because they haven't done that in a while. Um, so could this actually change laws and increase you know, uh, oversight um, or more importantly for us, I guess, transparency? Yes, that could be a libertarian solution that could come out of this. If you believe that more transparency is gonna come out of this, um, but no oversight, I think you're uh, probably fooling yourself. What always happens, I was in the banking industry when um, Fine Gold passed, uh, is more regulation which ends up costing consumers more money. So I'd be careful what you wish for as far as the hedge funds going away, what that will mean. Um, as far as regulation and what replaces them. And to Kevin's point, the hedge fund managers will find a way to make money with the new regulations. The only other thing I wanted to touch on today, Kevin, was um, Robinhood and the issue there, because I think people are also up in arms about this. Robinhood and the other investment firms or some other investment brokerages temporarily stopped trading on this stock, which caused a huge uproar. Um, just to be clear, because people are lying out there, um, Robinhood did not stop you from selling. You could continue selling your stock so no one got stuck with it, That's people are trying to say that they did. Um, if that happened, it was due to volume on the site, not due to a restriction by Robinhood. Uh, but they did stop you from buying the stock uh, as it was going up, so a lot of people do feel cheated because they weren't able to buy more, for example, or get in while it was on its way up. Robinhood essentially came out today and said that they, that was because they didn't have the liquidity. Right after that, they said they had plenty of liquidity, but if you listen to the whole interview, he basically said that they didn't have the liquidity. As their total assets go up, they have to have X amounts um, in the SEC. Uh, Basically, they have to have X amount of liquid assets with the SEC. Um, So if if they had a ton of people invest in this and it went up a thousand percent, suddenly they might need another billion dollars to to put in liquid assets. If they don't have that, they get in big time trouble. Uh, That's essentially um, what happened to them today. So they stopped letting people purchase this. They have said that they're going to start letting people purchase it again tomorrow. Um, after a class action was announced and then, that they're getting sued by a ton of investors. Uh, but I think the important point here is to note the libertarian position on this, forget about the actual Wall Street bets, the libertarian position on this is probably hedge fund managers uh, should have more transparency and should have to follow the exact same rules as other investors meaning if we don't have things available to us, they shouldn't have things available to them. That's a libertarian position. Whether it's regulation or not, forget about that, but the exact same rule should apply to the big guys as the little guys. Um, Robinhood should be sued because Robinhood essentially um, didn't let their consumers invest the way that other brokerages were able to. Fidelity, for example, never shut down. Um, So Robinhood, uh, sold a bad product to its investors and should be um, sued. Were they were they conspiring with the SEC as people are you know trying to say? I doubt it. Um, I think Robinhood has a very very innovative business model that has been under criticism for years for being too risky, and I think it caught up to them today. Uh, I don't think anybody who's watched Robinhood over the last two years is surprised at what happened today. Um, but there's a lot of conspiracy theories running around, so who knows. Um, anyway, Kevin, on, on those, any other libertarian arguments that I think should, people should understand, because obviously it's going to be debated tomorrow and over the weekend, and, and I got attacked and, and I made arguments all day about it. I just want to make sure we are being fair on the other side of why you would do this and what arguments libertarians are making.
0: Well, I I think you're going to see several arguments from, you know, depending on which faction of the libertarians that you're going to see. I think that you're going to have all the way from, you know, it's good because the individual was able to showcase that they can do something, you know, all the way over to it's bad because it's going to lead to the reduction of retail investing, which is essentially what Robin Hood is. That's one of the things that a lot of people don't understand is Robin isn't a TD Ameritrade. They're not a Goldman Sachs. They're not an E-Trade. They're not made for people that are moving large amounts. They're made for their original deal was to get the general populace invested into stocks. And so they weren't ready for huge numbers like this. Like you've said, they've had quite a few snafus over the years because of this model that they have. Um, I, I think that you're going to see, just like everything else, I think you're going to see libertarian arguments from all sides. Um, my viewpoint on it is, I think that if you're doing it to prove a point, then that's excellent. I think that as far as long-term lasting effects, you may have, you may have been able to show the masses that we have the ability to do these market influences. But I think overall, it will probably be bad for us. I think that you'll see a a higher regulation come in of these retail investments, because what's going to happen is there's going to be people that aren't listening to you and I that are going to buy in at 480 or 520. And then when the original people that bought all of this up, because the thing that you need to realize is, if you say everybody spent a thousand dollars, were those guys that bought a thousand dollars worth when the stock was five bucks, they've got a lot more money. They've got a lot more stock and a lot more market influence. And when they dump the prices, I mean, the bubble's going to pop. And so they've made their money, they're dumping it. And those people that bought in late are going to be the ones that get screwed. And you're going to see these regulations come in because to protect people from these things and, I I think that it will turn out to be negative overall um, when it comes from a regulatory standpoint. I think that it will be positive when it comes to a cultural standpoint of being able to say like, hey, like we have the ability to do this if we want to.
1: Yep. And I think it's also important just to wrap up on this, uh, going back to the bear raids uh, that this gentleman um, basically colluded with a number of people and drove the stock prices in a direction so that those people could make money while other people lost money. Um, That is exactly what Wall Street Bets is doing. Don't care if you have a good motive or not. uh, That's what you're doing. And I think it's important to understand um, that there are laws against pump and dump. And if you're planning on pumping and holding that's one thing, but the people who are, are involved in this and who are pumping the stock up through what could easily be construed as misinformation, being that this stock is going to go to a thousand because there's X percent of short interest and that that you know equates to another 400% jump. I just, I've seen tweets on this is, and, and they're nonsense. They're, you can't do this math, but this basically if everybody covers, then this is what it'll turn into. Um, but that's what they're doing and they're convincing people not to sell until they get to a thousand. Um, and I, that is a pump and dump scheme. So I got asked today, how are they going to put 3 million of us in jail? And my answer was, I don't know. And I don't care. I'm just telling you what you're doing. Um, what you're doing is inherently hurting somebody else with a scheme like this. There are going to be people who lose money that need it, um, that don't understand what is happening. Uh, and that happens with pump and dump schemes. And that's what's happening right now. So anyway, I'm sure we're going to get a lot of hate for this episode, Kevin, but I wanted it's to- It's okay,
0: man. I'm a, I, I get I get called a communist every day. So <laughs> I'm down with it. Uh,
1: well, today the, the favorite word were either shill or corporatist. Those were the two most common non-cuss words that I get called
0: today. Yeah, I think the funniest <laughs> thing that that has occurred to me on Twitter was I was arguing with, um, I was actually arguing with a Libsoc, um, which is interesting, because I always get accused of being a LibSock And they were like, <laughs> you know, the 1%. And I said, I'm the 1%. Like, <laughs> more than likely, you are too. Like, the 1% of what the 1% of the world, the 1% of like, what are you talking about? You know, Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's, that's just the way it is. So, um, (laughs) I will maintain that I am the only anarcho-communist (laughs) hyper-capitalist that exists. So that's good. And I hope,
1: I hope you folks understand that this was about educating, making sure you get it. You guys can make your own decision about where you stand on the issue, but we wanted to have you understand what's at play, how it all came to be, uh, what the different arguments are. So thank you guys for joining us. Um, Let us know what you think. We would love to hear opinions on this episode. We don't do a lot of issue episodes with just Kevin and I. We'd love to start doing more unless you tell us that we suck at it, and then we'll probably just stick to having guests.
0: Yeah, appreciate you guys. Let us know. Uh, Tweet at us, at ChatsChief on Twitter. Um, I'm at HobbyReal. Todd is, you're actually just at Todd Hagopian, right? Or is it Libertarian Chief? You can find me.
1: All right, folks. Well, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Let us know how we did.
0: Thanks. Oh hey, I'm Kevin. I'm here too.